0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The
1: point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good.
0: Oh, I think I know where that one came from.
1: Yeah, we are going to tackle a subject that a lot of listeners have asked us to talk about, uh, both on Facebook and in email, possibly mm-hmm. on Twitter as well. Uh, but we've received many requests to talk about the dot com bubble and crash, mm-hmm. uh, of 2000-2001. And it's an interesting story and it certainly has some lessons that we can learn, uh, Particularly with certain companies that are operating right
0: now. That's that's absolutely true. Um, I have the occasion to work in technology during the dot com bubble years, mm-hmm. um, and it was a, a crazy ride.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a very exciting time for a while, and mm-hmm. then it was a very terrifying time. Yes, but it uh, was. but to to build into this, we should really kind of give you a a. a, a bird's eye view of what was going on at the time, so the world wide web really started to make uh penetration into the public in ninety three or so
0: yeah it, it's funny because a lot of people i think still really have no idea that the internet uh was born decades really before yeah. before you know we were all using the web for you know keeping up with everyone and and, and you know communications of different kinds um but yeah, I mean, the, once the web arrived on the scene, that really enabled a lot of people to do things that with computers that they wouldn't necessarily have done so. I remember, it's funny because uh, I was thinking about this on my way into the studio this morning. There was a game show I was watching, um, and uh, I, I think it was uh, Alan Ludden who was hosting it. It was one of the, the older shows on Game Show Network. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the prizes was a home computer. This was in the probably late 1980s when this was the show was from, and he's... He's like, okay, well, if you want to, uh, I'm paraphrasing because it's been so long, but uh, you've won a, uh, a personal home computer, although I, I don't know what you would do with something like that, <laughs> <laughs> which cracks me up now because uh, the internet and especially the web has made it possible to do so many different kinds of things like online banking and watching uh, shows and, and keeping up with calendars and reading the news and all kinds of friends. Things. Yeah, but we we didn't do that before. And once the web came around people started going wait i know you could make a you know fill in the blank here and there wasn't one already you didn't say you know i can make an online banking site oh no you know the giant world bank has already done that well i maybe i could come up with a a way to network with my friends no there's already a facebook right yeah you know, they these these people were creating these things from scratch and it was a really heady time because everybody wanted to be the first in and make loads of money from doing this, although it, mm, they didn't really necessarily know how.
1: Right. Uh, I, I equate the early days of the web, and really, even though 93 was when the public started getting hold of the web, 95 yeah. is when businesses started to really look at how can we use this as a way to make money, or not just businesses looking into it, but people looking into it thinking, how can I form a business that uses the web as a platform? Yes. Uh but I equate it to a land grab. Like yeah. like imagine that you uh, have come to a new country and there's a huge territory that is open and it has a set amount of uh, of land that's available for a set uh, price, right? right? Mm-hmm. And there are, and it's divided up into certain sections. And then essentially, on a certain day, you are allowed to go and stake your claim. You would actually go and you would stake your claim, put it, you know, say this land is what I'm purchasing and that would become yours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was risk involved in that because you might you might go and grab land and then find out that you thought that maybe there'd be a good place to dig a well. And it turns out there is no good place to dig a well on that land. Or, you know, you you thought that the land that the section you grabbed was um going to be great for farming, and then you you realize, oh, wait, 75% of this is really rocky ground that's not going to be easy to farm at all. Same sort of thing with the web, really, is this idea, this this frontier that had been mostly unoccupied, Mm -hmm. especially from a a business perspective, and it gave people the idea that anything is possible, and as long as I have a good idea, uh, I can build up a customer base, and once I build up my customer base... I can find a way to make money from them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was kind of the problem was that they first thought I need to get people, and then I need to figure out how to make money from them yep,
0: yeah, yep, yeah. and i think uh I think it bears um bears going into also the it wasn't just the tech sector uh the people within the tech sector who were excited about this um in the mid nineties that's when people started getting really excited about. Uh, internet access and getting home computers so that they could use the internet at their homes. Right. And um, once people realized this, they started thinking, you know what? I bet these companies, uh, you know, they they might be worth something someday, especially because um, I think people were saying, hey, you've really got something here. Right. So a lot of these companies would issue uh, stock to join the stock market. And uh, I was I was looking into this last night as I was doing my research. Uh, Andrew Beatty uh, wrote an article about bubbles for Investopedia, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to just give you the definition of a bubble based on on his article. Um, you know, he actually wrote about a, d- a lot of different famous bubbles that have happened. A lot of them in real estate. You know, there there are many bubbles, sure. not just this one. Sure. But the idea is that people are really excited about a product that is on the stock market. Sure. And they're so excited that they keep buying it. They want more stock, as much stock as they can get. And that drives the price of the stock up. And eventually, though, the company, the the actual worth of the company can't match what the perceived value is in the stock market. Right. And it keeps inflating and inflating and inflating. And so there's a company might be worth say 20 million dollars but it has you know on the stock market it's far more than that yeah so eventually hundred million dollars in, in shares out exactly and at some point when the company falters the the bubble can burst people suddenly realize oh my gosh this company is not worth but that much yeah it's under they, they it, sell their stock exactly and, and then you the you end bursts. up with a
1: company where it's it's yeah it starts to fall apart uh, yeah the we call this 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 whole idea speculation, right? It's right. Stock market speculation and speculation is essentially when you bet. It's it's usually it's it's um, related to short term gains. Yes. You know you're looking at the stock market momentum, and you're not necessarily a lot of the people who were investing weren't necessarily looking into companies they were particularly interested in. They were betting that the company they were investing in was going to explode and that uh it would either become wildly successful in which case you become rich or it would get acquired by a bigger company in which case you get rich mm-hmm. so it seemed like a no brainer you know you just you you throw in money at these small companies as soon as they become available and then you just watch your your cash increase uh But the problem is that when more and more people get involved in this speculation, it does drive the price up. And it Mm -hmm. drives it up well beyond the company's worth, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And so it's very high risk. It's fast paced uh you can you i mean if you want to indulge in, in being a, a speculator on the stock market you have the potential to make a lot of money but you have to you have to be really nimble and people are not going to like you yeah. <laughs> because you're you're not investing in a company in order to have that company succeed you're investing in a company kind of like if you were in uh Las Vegas and you were making a bet on a, a poker game
0: right right now of course, it's not as simple as, as coming up with an idea, uh, in your bedroom one night, writing it down, sketching it up on a napkin for five, five friends and then starting the company the next day and then becoming rich. Right. There, there are many, many steps in between. Um, what, uh, the, the piece that we may, that you may be missing if you're unfamiliar with a lot of this is the venture capitalists. Yes. And these are, these are people who are our business people looking to make initial investments. Um, you know, you have your, your five friends with you. You've started your company, but you know you've maxed. All of you have maxed out your credit cards trying to get this thing off the ground. And you say, "Well, you know, where, where am I going to come up with some money?" I'm scratching my head, but you can't see it. Yeah, uh, and a, and I a can. nice visual. Um, so, yeah, you well, what am I going to do? Well, these venture capitalists might want to talk to you. You might go into the boardroom, meet with the with the people at the firm, and say, "Look, here's our idea. These are the five things we want to accomplish to do it." We figure we're going to need, you know, fifteen million dollars to really tool up and make this thing a possibility. If you can convince those investors, those initial investors, uh, that you really have a case, they might be willing to give you some money and to to get the company started. So then you could go ahead and rent some office space. Get your you know copier and your computers, and you know hire a couple people to help you along. Pay your and, ISP. Yeah, yeah. You've got a lot of overhead costs that you got to take care of. The, these these um, initial investments come from these venture capitalists. And I was reading on um, an article in the San Francisco Chronicle by uh, Tom Abate, who um, who did a piece on the dot com bubble, and was saying that uh, venture capital firms would. Uh, we are we're just going nuts funding this in fact one of my uh supervisors when I worked for a tech company left to join a venture capital firm. We all thought that was really cool um, which it which it was at the time uh, but yeah i mean but it, it again, this was a no brainer they were coming up with the the greatest ideas you know fresh off the uh right out of the uh factory if you yeah. will yeah um and they were he said that uh abate said that uh, venture capitalists uh in the in two thousand made about 8,000 investments valued at about $100.5 wow. million. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot. It's like $100 million. But, you know, that's the money that gets the company off the ground to the point where they can go ahead and raise enough interest from an investment firm to get you a an IPO, an initial public offering of stock. Yeah, that's where the public can launch.
1: purchase stock within that company.
0: So, yeah, you start your company, you get some people to to give you some funding, to get off the ground, you get moving, then you go to the big banks and say, hey, if we can launch some stock, I know we're all going to get rich. Yeah. And once they do that, and the people, and believe me, there were lots of stock watch pages. People speculated all the time about who was going to have an IPO and, and which which new tech company was you know are these guys were any good who where they come from, you know and, and yeah. people people were following which IPOs were were coming in the, in the weeks and months ahead so that you could go ahead and and buy in on the first day and in a lot of cases the, the stock would shoot right up immediately out of the gate.
1: Yeah, yeah, to the point where uh, if you were not in on it at the very beginning, yeah. then that uh, was it. Yeah. I mean there were still people who were purchasing stock prices even at high points because they were there were you know the sky was the limit there was no ceiling as far as anyone could tell nope. for these companies and um and one of the risks of venture capital and I find this interesting mm-hmm. is that there are times where um a startup company will get more venture capital than it needs yes. to get off the ground uh-huh. and that's actually a problem it's not you know because the company has to figure out what to do with that money and it may be like, let's say that there's a company that starts up that needs approximately $20 million in venture capital mm-hmm. to really start. But they get $100 million in venture capital. This is what leads to, this can lead to bad habits, bad practices. For example, in a lot of these dot-com companies fell into this trap where they started spending their venture capital on let's call them luxuries or lavish uh <laughs> lavish settings.
0: Oh yes, because the dot com companies, a lot of them in uh places like Mountain View, California and San Francisco, San Francisco area, a lot of them. Uh there were quite a few of them here in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, actually Atlanta had a lot. Of, um, it, it, the dot com crash hurt Atlanta a lot.
0: If you if you want to get an idea what it was like at the heyday, go to howstuffworks.com and read Jonathan's article on the Googleplex. Google still has offices very reminiscent of the kinds with the kinds of amenities that you would see in these places. But one of the the cool things about the dot commerce was they wanted to attract the best and the brightest. Yeah. So they would they would load up on these on things like foosball tables and arcades. Yeah, they're trying
1: um, to hire uh, like like graduate students right out of school. Yeah. Uh, so so schools like MIT, Georgia Tech. I mean these these Caltech yeah Caltech yeah these these schools were were like the seed farms for for these companies I mean they were going after these these students sometimes hiring them right out of co- like out of college they aren't, haven't even graduated
0: yes i i know people uh, as a matter of fact you think of that as being a sports phenomenon oh well, he's not coming back for his senior year because he signed with you know he the joined the or draft something. or something yeah, yeah the, the some of these uh tech wizards you know we're talking like you know 18 19 20 years old they would get pulled out of college um you know there there's an incubator uh which is what you call a um uh, an office space where little companies go um at the Georgia Tech campus that I've been to um and you see like office after office is you know there in each office is a little company mm-hmm. that's just getting started um they get a little office space and a chance to to uh to get started on their business but yeah i mean if you have this stuff happening right next to campus, it's easy for them to, to do some recruiting. And, uh, and, and also, the companies that were slightly larger that had had an IPO, um, they would lure people in with stock options.
1: Yeah, you would get paid in stock options. And since the companies were doing so well, that made you instantly a millionaire. That's not yeah. a joke. There were people who were joining companies and essentially overnight, being a millionaire, if you were able to consider the stock options as being equivalent to you know the their perceived market value at the time
0: yes that that's correct and and you have to uh you have to think about like well okay so what if i join giant internet co and i you know i just come there and they pay me all these millions in stock options and i you know buy the stock and leave i could just be a millionaire well no, a lot of these had a vesting period. So you'd have this these options on paper, and you had the right to buy them at a at a low price, um, or at the price at the date of issue. So right. if you joined the company when the the stock was three dollars a share, um, the then ends, you'd have the right yeah. to that. That's locked in. But in order to actually get that stock, or the the right to actually buy the stock, you have to work there for so and so many years. So in two, yeah, that was, three, that was four problem. years. You could get your you know you can, 8, cash 000, you, can you can get your eight thousand shares of stock at three dollars a share. Meanwhile the stock price had risen to ninety nine dollars a share. Wham, you've got lots and lots of money. But unfortunately it did not work out that way. Not well, for a lot of people it did, but Well
1: yeah, for some people it did, but that I, was
0: during the bubble as yeah. the, the stock prices continued to inflate and um you know yeah, because the bubble started forming,
1: like we said, in the mid nineties, uh and it really reached its its height in two thousand.
0: Yes, and uh again from uh the article in the Chronicle. Uh March tenth, two thousand. Ah uh, yes, the peak. Five uh this is the Nasdaq, the sto- one of the stock exchanges here in the United States. Um, right. a lot of it's not exclusively a tech stock exchange, but, but there are a, there lot, are a lot of tech on stocks there. on there. Um the it the Nasdaq hit its peak of um Five thousand one hundred and thirty two fifty two. Um and then it virtually overnight crashed. Now um, the low point of the Nasdaq was a couple years later. Right. October 9th two thousand two, where it reached one thousand one hundred fourteen eleven. That's a seventy-eight percent drop. Yeah, over two, two year, and a half. Two and a half years. years.
1: Two and a half years, seventy-eight percent of the value of that. Of that stock exchange,
0: gone. Well, that's because it's because of a lot of things. So a lot of the tech companies delivered on their promises. Yeah, but yeah, not all of them did. Let's let's talk about some of the companies
1: that started during this this uh, this bubble. Mm-hmm. There are a few that are still around. There's eBay. Oh yes. which did quite well. Mm-hmm. There's Amazon, which. Amazon followed a a pattern that a lot of companies followed. Amazon made it work, and most of the other companies did not. And that was the pattern I was kind of talking about earlier, where you try to get as many customers as possible, and then you figure out a way to make money from them. Yes. Amazon followed this get big, get fast, and then make money. So the idea was that, all right, well, we need to hit as many people as possible, because that was the promise of the web, correct? I mean, you think of your average store. All right. Your mm-hmm. average physical store, physical brick and mortar store. There's a, a a limit to the number of people who can go in and out of that store in a single day. Yes.
0: Yeah, so if you want to know, if you really want to get into uh, depth on this, you can read Chris Anderson's article in Wired magazine, The Long Tail. He actually did a book on that, too, that might be available right. at your local library. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Jonathan's right. There's you've got your local store, but. You know, it's it's also got so much it can carry. So you're limited to the stuff they think they can move. When if you want something that was published 15 years ago, it may not be on your local store shelves anymore. Yeah, so
1: you've got a physical limit to how much you can have. You have a physical limit to how many people can visit. Mm -hmm. You're regionally based, right? So, I mean, there's going to be a limit to how far people are willing to travel to get to your store. Yep. But on the web, all of those disappear. Yep. Right? Because you, you can have an unlimited number of people well, assuming your bandwidth can handle it. You can you can have a virtually unlimited number of people visit your store. Yep. You can have a virtually limitless inventory because you can always order whatever like if you start selling out of something, you can always order from the manufacturer more items of that until the, that dries up. Right. And and there's no regional limit, essentially. Uh, now, you might be somewhat limited by whatever country you're in, but mm-hmm. that's a lot different than being, like, if I have a store in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's my only store, then essentially I'm catering to Atlanta. But if I have a website, and my my, my website's based out of Atlanta, but it goes everywhere, then my customers are the world. That is a phenomenal thing.
0: Yes. Now, I mean, y- you have something else, too, at your disposal, which is uh, a method of communicating with Potential customers. Now, right. you, uh, Jonathan Store here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, well, you've got people. Word has spread throughout the state, maybe to uh, to neighboring states like South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Alabama, and Florida. And, you know, people buy something here and go home. So, you know, five or six people in New York, a couple of people in California know about Jonathan's store, and they think it's cool. Maybe he comes out with a mail-order catalog and gets some more at business. Or do I, I? maybe I franchise. Or maybe he franchises. But the thing is, the word word of mouth is spreading, and there's only so much advertising you're going to – I mean, he's not going to put TV ads on in Wisconsin. Right. Because they can't come into the store, or they, they could get a catalog. and. You know, of course, there are many, many success stories. People like Sears, who who managed to make that work. Um, But that that's a painstaking process. It's a hard road. The internet makes that so much easier because using search engines, you can find. It's like you know, new and used books. Where am I going to find? Oh, there's a store called Amazon.com. What's here? And then you know, Amazon for its part too only has to maintain a handful of warehouses. They can put one in the Northeast. They can put one in the Southeast. They can put one in the Midwest. Right. They have four or five buildings from which they ship stuff in the United States. They keep their overhead low. People aren't browsing through and damaging copies. People aren't shoplifting. Yeah. There, there are many advantages that, that the Internet gives a store that it wouldn't have. And, and so e-commerce was one of the huge things that happened during the dot-com boom because – Right, right. Right. Um, you know, and, and it scared the willies out of of other stores. I mean, Barnes and Noble it and, still is. and Borders, uh, you know, which are big chains here in the United States, immediately you know started working on well, probably not immediately, but shortly, shortly after immediately, yeah. um, started working on some kind of online strategy. And not everyone has succeeded at that.
1: Yeah. See, Amazon they got big fast, but they didn't overspend. No. Right. They didn't invest in. In warehouses they didn't need or technology that was superfluous, they they were very wise about their spending choices, and that's part of what helped them survive the, the eventual crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, eBay had a very strong community at the time. Um, still does, but it was a little different because back th- back then we're talking mainly auction-based uh, transactions. Now today it's it's changed a little bit, right? Yep. It's, it's, it's closer to Amazon than it used to be. Um, and then you had Craigslist, that also started during the dot com boom, and the, that was a different model entirely, because that was sort of a, it was sort of a, a, an extension of the old BBS community boards.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but both eBay and Craigslist were local. Yes. Uh, operations until you know word got out and people started saying, "Hey, I want this. I want to be able to." You know, uh, eBay was initially designed to be for the San Francisco area, right? The Bay. Right. So that's uh it's it's just funny how you know. And Craigslist thing? as well.
1: San Francisco, man, you guys with your little Silicon Valley and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but there were other other big sites that also started in the in the in the boom that didn't ultimately do so well, like uh, GeoCities.
0: GeoCities, uh, yes.
1: GeoCities actually got so big that um, Yahoo decided to purchase them in 1999 for an enormous sum, $3.57 billion.
0: And where is GeoCities now, anyway? It's gone. Yes. Yahoo shut it
1: down in 2009. Yep. So, you know, that it was one of those purchases that at the time it seemed like it was a wise decision because everyone was getting a GeoCities account, and we saw so many terrible websites with... With uh looping midis and animated gifs, oh, yeah. and uh, and there was the required under construction image that oh, had to be on there somewhere. With the guy the with a shovel, yeah, usually the guy with a shovel, or it was a hard hat, or it was like the tape. But yeah, there was always an under construction. And guys, yeah. just so you know, if you're building your first website, I know all of you know this. We understand it's under construction. The web is a, a fluid thing, so you don't need to tell us. It's always going to be changing. <laughs> But um, uh, also AOL mm-hmm. at that time. This is how big these companies were getting. Okay, so during this this uh, boom, AOL, a, a web based company. Now, Grant, they they had started off with sort of a
0: they were an OSP, yeah, an OSP, with, and an, o- and then, an online service provider. So they right. weren't they weren't part of the internet. You dialed directly into that. Yeah, we they actually were, did a podcast. Yeah,
1: they were their own network. But then they of course transitioned to the internet. Right uh, when the web started to take off. AOL acquired Time Warner. This was a huge story. Still is, actually, because now it's looked at as one of the worst business decisions of all time.
0: For now, anyway. Yeah. I'm sure someone else will do something even more but, crazy.
1: But at any rate, it's one of those where, in retrospect, it was one of those things where just because a company can do something, maybe it shouldn't. <laughs> no, yeah. It might not need to. So, uh, But there were other ones like Pets.com.
0: Oh Pets.com yeah. was, was one of those there there were many uh, <laughs> there are many of these startups that became big and you can look back on them now and go, what on earth were they thinking? Right. But Pets.com was not one of them. It was um, a, an online uh, pet pet Retailer, so I mean, not not pets, but pet supplies, right, right. And uh, their commercials were very famous because they had a a, a talking hand puppet dog yes. with a microphone. Yes, um, he he actually went on to work for someone else, but right. Pets.com uh, you know, just did not did not end up working out. And of course, the major uh, uh, pet um, stores in the United States here all have an online presence, sort of like Pets.com. but at the time. I guess we weren't ready for it.
1: Yeah, I can tell you if you want to hear about some big companies that or some companies that made big news in 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 the world of failure, uh boo.com is hard to beat.
0: Yeah, boo.com. Of course, uh if you're in the United States you may be going, I'm not sure I've heard of them, but in the United Kingdom I bet you have.
1: Yeah, boo.com, uh fashion, uh, yes. clothing mm-hmm. supplier uh website. So Boo.com spent over a hundred million dollars. The company spent over a hundred million dollars before ever offering a single article of clothing for sale on its site. Mm-hmm. Also, they they decided to push the envelope and be really uh, uh, cutting edge with their tech. So there was a, a an animated uh, personal assistant, a sales assistant who would help you on mm-hmm. the site. So that you have this animated character. The problem was. At this time, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, people were still using dial-up. You know, the broadband was not an option. And so, using something as, as broadband intense as an animated character to deliver your, uh, your product or to deliver the experience to the consumer meant that it was even harder to get there and to experience it. So, in its brief, uh, life, it sold just a few hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, of clothing to around three hundred thousand customers and it spent over in in six months spent a hundred and eighty eight million dollars so You know, that, that's like the classic story of the dot com crash, right? A company that just balloons beyond its, its capacity to deliver upon the promises Mm -hmm. and then burns through way too much money buying things that are not core to the business. And then as a result, once everyone says, Hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe we're getting, maybe we're overreacting. Maybe we're overvaluing these companies. It crashed hard. Uh, Another one that uh, I was very sad to see go was Webvan.
0: Yes. Now, for a while, uh, there were a couple of competing uh, stores. At least here in Atlanta, I know there were there were others in other parts of the country. Webvan, I believe, uh, was at least semi national here in the United States. Yeah, it
1: it was in several cities across the the country. Yeah. It was not. It wasn't nationwide or anything. But there were there were like eight or nine cities, and it was a good spread across the country.
0: Yeah, and and the idea was you would order your groceries online. Yes. On the website and someone would deliver them to your house.
1: Yes, within a 30-minute window. You would tell them like you would tell them approximately what time you would be home and within 30 minutes of that time you should receive the delivery.
0: So, actually I don't know anybody who tried Webvan or I did. I would you let me finish. Okay, go ahead. Or uh, I believe the other in here in Atlanta was a home grocer? Uh, might have been, I don't know. I was a
1: Webvan um, customer.
0: I don't know anybody here in Atlanta who tried those services and didn't love them.
1: Oh, my God, I love them.
0: Um, and I think virtually everything else I've read online about them was not positive, extremely positive. The problem was that they were suffering from poor adoption. People didn't – I don't know that they didn't necessarily know what these companies were, but they they – In a way, it's kind of a throwback to old-style services like, you know, the milkman delivering these things to your house. Right. Uh, Maybe they they considered it antiquated, but for whatever reason, um, none of them really took off. Uh, The Florida Grocer Publix was also considering a move into that and and abandoned that. Um, There are some places where uh, there are services like that that have slowly crept back in. Peapod for a while was sort of making a niche...
1: And, and you may, you may have heard of things in your, in your area. Community supported agriculture. CSAs. Yes. Uh, these are, are farms that sell a certain a certain amount of, uh, of produce that's produced. Usually there's some sort of collective involved, and you might pay a weekly fee, and you get a delivery of produce sent to you. So that's kind of similar, but yeah. it's on a much more regional, like a very local base as opposed to national. Right. One of the things Webvan did, besides the fact of a, a poor adoption that, that led to its downfall, was it spent a lot of money, too. Yeah. It spent over a billion dollars on warehouses, and it spent it spent faster than it could bring in money and so once confidence began to waver in the tech market overall there was no way it could cover its costs and thus it went bankrupt in around uh, 2001
0: mm-hmm. and
1: actually several companies did go bankrupt around that time the 2001 2002 period because that's what was happening uh as a, you know the people started to realize very quickly in 2000 that the companies they had been investing in they had overvalued there was, there was no way that any company could deliver on that, that potential right. at that stage in its life. And as a result, people began to abandon in droves. And there were other reasons that contributed to people getting out of the market. Uh, interest rates were going up. It's actually a really complex story and there have been books written about this. But in general, what happened was people abandoned ship. And as a result, these companies, their value plummeted. So the company that had been worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. is now effectively worthless. They don't have the money to pay their overhead. They can't pay their employees. They had to start laying people off all those stock. Uh, options that were uh, initially worth potentially hundreds of millions of dollars were now you know you you hear stories about people just like having boxes of stock options or stocks that were worthless that you could have turned it into you know uh packing paper if you wanted to and um and so if you if you didn't cash in at the right time you were out of luck and as a result uh, also, the job market became glutted with tech people. Yes, especially like web administrators, uh, IT professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you suddenly had a, a an influx of all these tech folks, and not enough jobs because the companies that had been supporting them didn't exist anymore.
0: Yep, yep. And this is, you know, it it eventually settled out, but not before a lot of tech people lost their jobs and a lot of theoretical money on stock options, and a lot of real investors lost a lot of real money yeah. on their investments, too. And of course, it's made people very wary, which is why these days, uh, when people like Groupon uh, are talking about the possibility of, of an IPO, people like Facebook... Uh, Twitter. Twitter. Twitter's a
1: a really good example, actually.
0: Yeah, Twitter is is particularly uh, nerve-wracking, because if you think about the definition of the bubble, um, p- people are excited about it, but Twitter has been sort of reluctant to give us a business plan yeah. that, that's publicly available so that we can see it. So, uh, you know, a stock might go up. And if the company can't say, oh, yes, yeah, so we raised this much money through, for example, advertising, you know, it... it that's what has people talking about it again. But yeah. I think people in general are more wary than they were in the, the early 2000s. So. And they also have an idea. People are more tech savvy as a whole yeah. than they were back then when everything seemed like, oh, that's a really neat idea. Like, yes, it's a neat idea, but you can't pull it off. Yeah, you you still see stories. I mean, there were especially a couple
1: of years ago, before we had the economic downturn again, uh, you heard stories about venture capitalists yeah. sinking more money into various uh, uh ventures, then you might think is wise. But in a lot of cases, those panned out not because the companies were successful, but because some other larger company came along and acquired it for uh, quite a bit of money. And then the investment pays off that way, which I mean, that's another like you're making a long shot bet. So you might think, oh, this little company here that's just starting up needs venture capital I don't see it as being particularly successful in any way that's going to generate a lot of money. But I bet Google's going to buy it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then you would go and you would invest in the small company with the hope that Google would come along and munch it up. And you know the way things are, you'd probably have a seventy percent chance of being right. (laughs) Yeah. And that that, that's not to say that Google would do anything with it that would be successful. It just (laughs) that seems to be the way it works. Now I love Google, and they have done some wonderful things, but some of their purchases have not really. Worked out,
0: Jaiku. Yeah, I knew you were going to pick them. Dodgeball. So, uh, so we'll have to, we'll have to see where it goes. I I think the market's going to be a little bit more cautious. And if there is a bubble, it won't inflate so spectacularly as the last one did. Yeah. Uh, Probably simply because it's so close in proximity to the, the previous one. But, um, uh, that doesn't mean that people shouldn't uh, try to get some investment and, and move out there. Sure, uh, you know I, I hope to see that that uh, yeah, I, there are more new tech companies willing to make the plunge. You know,
1: we definitely don't want to see a, uh, innovation suffer. No, right? No. But um, yeah, need to make it happen. We just got to be careful because I mean I can tell you Atlanta suffered really it suffered quite a bit after the dot com crash. Yeah. I worked for a company that was not directly related to tech but had a lot of clients that were tech companies. And yeah. once that crash happened, uh, the revenue for the company I worked for suffered. So that kind of thing can happen where even if you aren't directly related to it, you feel that impact. I mean, and of course, yeah. I was a Webvan customer, so when Webvan went belly up, that I didn't have a car at the time. I lived a mile away from the nearest train station, and then I'd have to take a train and a bus to get to the closest market. And then I'd have to carry all that stuff back it, it, you know, Webvan was exactly what I needed at the time. Now, yeah. you know. So I keep hoping for something like that to really start to make its way back, even if it's locally supported, as opposed to being a, a big national chain.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that, that the failure probably still has some people wary, but I think it could succeed, given the opportunity. Yep. We'll see.
1: All right. Well, that was a great discussion on the dot-com crash. If you guys have any input, if you are directly affected or indirectly affected by the dot-com crash and you want to share your story, you certainly can feel free to do so. Uh, you can shoot us a, a message on Facebook or Twitter, our handle both of those is TechStuff, HSW, or you can shoot us an email, and that address is TechStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.